You're listening to Her Brilliant Health Radio, episode number 32. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to Her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN Dr. Kieran Dunstan shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. It's Dr. Kieran here with another episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. I hope you're having a great day. Thanks so much for joining me. Today, I have a special guest that I want to tell you about. We're going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart and probably a lot of you listening because we women struggle with this and we need help. And help is on the way right here today with my current guest. So let me tell you a little bit about Trisha Nelson. Trisha Nelson lost 55 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. Trisha has spent nearly 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addictive personality. She's an emotional eating expert and author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. I know everybody wants that. She also certifies health coaches so they can get better results, referrals, and revenue by helping their clients overcome emotional eating. Trisha is the host of the popular podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show, and is a highly regarded speaker. Trisha has been featured on NBC, CBS, KTLA, Fox, and Discovery Health. I met Trisha several years ago at a group that we both belong to and was just loved her magnetic personality from the beginning, love what she teaches and love listening to her podcast. Emotional eating is such a key that can make or break whether you are successful with functional medicine. So all the tools in the functional medicine box that I've been teaching you about really don't amount to a hill of beans if you can't use them and follow the way you need to eat. So welcome, Tricia. Here's help on the way. Help us, Tricia. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. I really appreciate you and your message and all that you're doing to help people. So tell everybody how you got on this journey. How did you become the expert on emotional eating? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it definitely came from my personal experience. I was 50 pounds, as you said, 50, 55 pounds overweight and really struggled with my weight. I mean, that was by the age of 21. So before that, it, it, you know, obviously was eating for a while to get to get to that weight. And what happened was I just had like a constant obsession with food early on um, in my life. I mean, food was such a highlight for me. I love to eat. I love to cook food. I love to serve it. Um, you know, I mean, this is long before the food networks on TV, of course, wouldn't that have been fun? So, um, so I was really into food and, you know, I thought I just liked to eat. I didn't see it as emotional eating or anything like that. Um, I just really love food. And, um, and problem is I gained weight really easily. So I grew up being chubby, like I was chubbier than my friends. And my mom at one point tried to buy these, the most worst brand of clothing ever called Chubettes. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. 
spending money on a brand that was called Chabess. I'm like, mom, I have my standards. No, like, no, we're not going there. But she was trying to help me because I was fat. So um, anyways, very humiliating. And and I just, as I got older, I kept eating and I had this roll on my tummy. I'd imagine cutting off, you know, like you would cut the fat off the side of a steak. And, you know, I thought about getting some crazy disease where I just automatically lose weight without trying or joining the army where I'd be forced to exercise at boot camp because I hated to exercise. So, you know, some pretty out there thoughts. Um, because I felt so out of control with food and I really couldn't do anything about my weight. So, you know, I started trying things like 12-step programs and self-help books and, um, you know, of course, diets and exercise and pills and potions and eventually went to an eating disorders therapist and nothing I tried worked for any length of time. And so I really began to lose hope you know, and I think so many people who struggle chronically with their weight do, they, they start to think, is there any point to this? Because I just end up the same place or worse than I was when I started, you know? So I was at that place. And what happened for me is that thankfully, really by the grace of God, I met somebody who was able to help me because he shared with me that my problem really had nothing to do with food. You know, it had everything to do with the underlying causes and that's really what I need to address, needed to address and heal. And so he showed me how to do that. And I'm telling you, that was, that was the key for me. And I was able to be thin and I've been in a thin body for 30 years now, thank goodness. And, and I began to research the addictive personality and really understand what emotional eating is about and what triggers it and what, what drives people to the kitchen time and time again. And that's really what my work is based on in my book uh, and my courses. And it's really about, you know, I mean, people know what to eat. So it's not a lack of, you know, people who have struggled with food and weight, they've read the books, you know, right. they've read the books, they've, they've done all these different things. They could freaking write the book. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't translate into them being able to do anything differently. And that's where I was. And so what I really love doing is teaching people about emotional eating because, you know, that's really the crux of the problem. That's why they can't follow through. And when somebody is able to really, you know, start to address their feelings, address the underlying causes, which doesn't take 20 years of therapy, it's very simple, you know, um, but, it, but they're missing it because they're so focused on the, the diet and the exercise and the weight loss. And so, but when, when this change happens, when they get this support, um, you know, they're able to lose the weight and really stop, you know, using food for emotional reasons and more for nutritional and, and physical reasons, you know, and enjoyment. It doesn't mean they don't enjoy eating. I love my food. I love eating, but it's a different experience. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm eating to live, not living to eat at this point. That's a huge difference. Yes. And so for most of us, because I've struggled with similar compulsive eating type behaviors throughout my life and used to think it was about the food. So how did you realize that it wasn't about the food? It was about emotions. And how can everybody listening understand what emotional eating is and how do they know if they have it? Well, I have something, first of all, I'll say, I really think all people are emotional eaters. I mean, really, I think God made us to have an emotional connection to food. So we eat and subsist as a, you know, as a species. So I think everybody has a fundamental, you know, proclivity towards, you know, eating for comfort. 
Um, but, but I see it as a spectrum. Okay. Where the low end is just your average emotional eater, you know, eat too much one weekend, you do extra work at the gym. You're good. Like you're, you're back to back to the baseline, but for, you know, people higher up on the spectrum, you're getting, uh, into, you know, a, a lack of ability to just bounce back a lack of ability to moderate, a lack of ability to just, you know, do a little extra extra exercise to get back to normal. Um, and you lose that ability. And then on the high end of the spectrum is food addiction, where I stood and that was like, that looked like, you know, sometimes ordering or buying like enough food for a really healthy binge, unhealthy binge really. But I mean a big binge where I could pack away three to 4,000 calories in a sitting while watching TV, you know, and ending up completely stuffed and food crumbs down my front and passing out just from disgust. Well, first, this is my pattern is I throw the food out in absolute disgust, you know, because you eat a little something, you eat sweet, you know, the sugar, you know, the, the ice cream and the brownies, and then you got to get the salty, the Doritos, and then you're back to something sweet. And so it just ends up in this huge binge. And I would end up throwing the food out, you know, like with a complete conviction that I would never eat that food again, because it was so I felt so gross from it, and literally pass out and then Three, you know, in a sugar coma and three hours later, reconsider and go get that food from the garbage can. So I call it garbage eating. And I actually did a video on YouTube one time. It has like over 30,000 hits of people were like, oh my God, I've done that. So um, <laughs> that's I, why I, you put it in the toilet. Oh yeah. Never <laughs> occurred to me. I mean, that's I, what I, I do. I know. And I've had the craziest stories. Some people are like, yeah, I put coffee grinds on it. I pour dish soap on it. And, you know, put it in the toilet. Well, that's quite a, yeah well i'd end up going out and getting more i'm sure but, oh, okay. but anyway but the bottom line is that you know um that's the high end of the spectrum and so taking a quiz and, and which i have on my website but taking that quiz and figuring out where you are on the spectrum is going to determine you know what lengths you have to go to to overcome the problem because not everybody's in the same place so i think that's a good starting point um in terms of you know, what drives the behavior um, and, and starting to see it. Because at first people are like, oh, I just love food, like chocolate's my thing. Well, it's more than just it being your thing. There's definitely emotions underneath. And so what I do is I, I tell people to take the PEP test and the uh, P is an acronym which stands for, well, the first P stands for painkiller. Okay. So even though it seems like we just like food, oftentimes we're eating to kill emotional pain. Okay. And it's like, what kind of pain? Well, if you hate your job, if you hate your spouse, you know, if you've got kids who are, you know, really stressful, which who doesn't, you know, and if you have, um, or you have an ailment, um, or, you know, a parent dies. I mean, there's a jillion different things that can cause emotional pain. Mm -hmm. For the emotional eater, we treat that pain with food. We bury it with food. Food is our painkiller. So pain is the first thing to look out for. The, the E in the PEP test stands for escape. And emotional eaters are incredibly, I find incredibly uh, responsible people. And so like we're always, we're do-gooders, you know, we don't want to get in trouble. We want people to like us. So, you know, we're doing good at our jobs. We excel, you know, we, we're, we're good parents. I mean, I mean, we do everything, we, we do everything right. And then we get really exhausted from being so good. 
And then we're like, I just want out of the pressure of life. It's a lot. You know, life is hard. There's no question about it. And so we just want to check out. Well, how do you do that? Well, the best way is with food if you're an emotional eater, you know, and you just really check out. And oftentimes that's because of fear, like the fear that there's a lot of uh, free floating fear and anxiety that emotional eaters feel. I think more than your average person, I think we're a little more wired for anxiety. So that again, wanting to escape that fear is something uh, that drives us as well. And the third um, letter in PEP is, uh, stands for punishment. Okay. And people don't think of this because we think of food as like a treat. Like this is my reward. You know, I deserve this. And so uh, we don't think of it in terms of punishing ourselves, but you know, you and I know that when we have stuffed ourselves and feel gross and then we don't want to go out with friends the next day and we don't, you know, we don't fit in our pants because we're bloated and we got zits on our face. That is not, you know, that's not a reward. That is definitely a form of punishment that we've done to ourselves. And I really, you know, from my research have really identified that emotional eaters feel guilty very easily. Like we have deep feelings and we just take things on. Things stick to us, you know, guilt sticks to us and we can't just brush it off. And so oftentimes there is a subconscious desire to hurt ourselves, to literally punish ourselves over things that we've said or done, or just, you know, this, maybe it's a religious concept we got early on and it, we couldn't shed it, you know, this idea that we're bad or sinful. And so that drives our eating as well. And so I just tell people, you know, take that pep test and see, like, see if there's some pain, some fear and some guilt going on. It's not something that you're conscious of right away, but if you kind of practice that, that searching, that sleuth, you know, that sleuthing, if you start to do that, you'll start to see, oh yeah, it's not just that the cake is super tasty and sweet. It's like, you know, I'm looking to numb out, you know, or I'm looking to just, you know, forget this, you know, painful marriage that I'm in, you know? And so it's just really important that we start digging. Yeah. That's great. I love that. That's a great um, analysis of kind of wh why we're doing what we're doing and, and the subconscious motivation behind it. I know that for me, when I thought it was about the food, I didn't even realize that there were feelings under there. It was so automatic from as a child, like I've heard you describe, it was just that obsession with food. Can't eat one cookie, got to eat the whole package. And if I didn't, I'd be continuously thinking about it and not realizing that under there are feelings that I'm not wanting to feel. And so how do you suggest that people who are dealing with this, who probably are in that automatic mode also, and they don't even realize, really start to tune in and get in touch with what the feelings are? How do they identify them? How do they get in touch with them? And then how do they process them? Because I know for people I've worked with and myself, it kind of was, ooh, if you haven't been feeling because you've been stuffing it and avoiding it, what's that? Oh my God, it's a feeling, I'm gonna die. <laughs> yeah, and there is, you know, it really is very, we have, as emotional eaters, we have, you know, a deep lying belief that it is life and death, right? It's like, it's super instinctual and it's like, it, you know, it, it sounds silly at first, but we do believe that this food is somehow saving our lives. Yeah. And the thing is, it did at one time, 
you know, like most of us have experienced trauma, sexual abuse, alcoholism, you know, rage, you know, from a parent. I mean, we've experienced trauma. It's usually how we got into this pattern to begin with of protecting ourselves. And so there's a very deep lying fear or belief rather that, you know, we need this fear to this food to survive. And I certainly did. I mean, I had sexual abuse and I, uh, you know, I, I just sort of protected myself with this food and this wall of fat and it felt like it was saving my life. And it probably did. It probably gave me enough entertainment value, you know, and distraction from the pain uh, to get me by in my childhood. And yet it turns on us and it's no longer a successful coping tool. You know, as, as adults, you can't go around running from your feelings. You got to start feeling because because feelings aren't nearly as bad as we fear that they are. So it's like that whole, you know, it's like we create more pain running from them than we would if we just faced them. So I think it's really just what you said is really important that there's this fear that we're going to die and we won't. But, but, you know, you can't tell a little frightened girl that like it's an irrational fear, you know, and I, I find that, uh, or I tell people constantly that you can't do this alone. Like we eat, you know, so habitually that you can't stop this pattern on your own. You know, it's really an addictive habit and it's, it, and nobody can change an addiction on their own. It's just too powerful. So it's really important that people have a community of emotional eaters, you know, I think is most beneficial for an emotional eater is to have yeah. somebody of their kind, because when you're doing this work with other people who are doing it, it lessens the fear. It's not so life and death. You can laugh at it. I mean, there's a lot of habits I've had that are pretty funny. If you're in a group of people who've done the same thing, you can kind of laugh about eating out of the garbage. Like it's totally sick, but if you talk about it with other people, it's kind of funny, you know? So we need that camaraderie. We need that community. And I think that's super important as well. Yeah, that support that you know that you're not alone, that other people have gone through this. People who haven't experienced it, though, are kind of like, that's crazy. But if you go to an OA meeting, then people, everybody understands and, oh, yeah, I've done that. And then you don't, it doesn't feel so uh, out of the box or crazy. Um, and, and these were our coping mechanisms that did service at one time. Yeah. And you can't try to explain it to somebody who doesn't have it. Like try to explain <laughs> emotional eater, like being powerless over a cookie. That just is, that's crazy, you know? So you can't like, we always try to like to explain it to our spouses or our family members, our parents. And they're like, just moderate, like, just like, yeah. just, you know, just moderate. And, and that doesn't work for us. You know, that, that sounds right, but we can't do it. So, so, so important to me among people who get it because other people are just like, you know, you're a Martian from outer space. <laughs> yeah. And, and like we talked about at the beginning, functional medicine works, the tools work when they don't work is when you don't work them. And why don't people work them? A lot of times is because of this compulsive eating with the sugar the carbs, the fats, the processed foods, the unhealthy foods, and that compulsive eating. So yeah, you can't do it alone. So you got to have community. Yep. And then how do you, what tools do you like to give people to start to use to really get in touch with what's going on emotionally? 
How do you? Well, well, one of the things I really, well, one thing is something I call three meal magic, which is eating three meals with nothing in between. You know, that in and of itself is going to radically change somebody's life because if you're eating, you know, people, you know, emotional eaters are emotional snackers, you know? And so when we're eating throughout the day, we, we wouldn't know what a feeling is if it slapped us in the face, you know? And so, cause we're numbed out. And so just putting space between your meals and not eating is a huge improvement. And what it'll do is it'll create some awareness in between those meals because, you know, in, sort of, in, in order to sort of heal your hunger, you have to feel some hunger. And when you feel the hunger, you start to recognize the fear, the pain, the guilt, the things, those little creepy emotions that are, that are lurking underneath the surface that normally we've just put a blanket on with snacking. And so that in of itself will help. Um, it's not sustainable though, if people don't have really inner resources to draw on. And, you know, I have a routine, you know, that I start first thing in the morning, that's a spiritual practice, which helps me get grounded um, really get grounded and uh, like meditation, prayer, reading spiritual materials, writing. I go for a walk and I pray during my walk. You know, I call it my walk pray. I put earbuds in so, and I talk out loud to God and it, you know, people think I'm on the phone with a friend. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I am, but, but I didn't dial them up. <laughs> so, um, but that's, you know, the, these getting centered and still first thing in the morning is so vital because if we just pop out of bed and we're ricocheting off of every stressor of the day, you know, by three o'clock in the afternoon, yes, we're going to look for some kind of energy and quick fix because we are totally out of steam. Whereas if we, if we build a resource inside ourselves, so if we go to that still quiet place inside of our, inside ourselves, if we connect with, you know, Holy Spirit, God, the universe, whatever, divine spirit, whatever you call it, that lives in us. And we can draw on that if we've cultivated that relationship, you know, and that's going to get us through the day later on the day, you know, 75% of emotional eaters eat late in the afternoon and in, into the evening, uh, because we're completely flattened, you know, like life is taking a bite out of us and we just need that quick fix. Um, and so when we build those resources first thing in the morning, we can draw on that. I also have a meditation practice where I meditate twice a day and the afternoon meditation is so useful when I'm in that slump. I'm amazed by, you know, when I just feel like, oh, I'm so tired and I can't go on. And that's normally when I would have started reaching for something nibbly. It, I, that's when I go, I sit in my chair and I meditate for 20 minutes and I'm just like a new person after that. So I highly recommend doing that recharge in the afternoon. But again, and you got to be around other people doing the same thing. Otherwise it's like climbing, you know, Kilimanjaro. <laughs> right. By yourself. And it's so true. And I really try to help people understand that along with the physical issues you're having, it's the energetic issue that has to do with your vibration. And when you do pray and meditate and do these spiritual practices to connect with whatever you want to call it or not connect, maybe just connect with yourself, you are raising your energetic vibration, which we can measure and calibrate. Uh, Heart Math Institute has looked at that. And we know that you're raising your vibration. And then it's almost like you sail over these issues that are going on in life at a higher level. Totally. And 
if you haven't done it, don't knock it if you're listening, because I recommend meditation all the time and people are surprised and resistant and some try it and they enjoy the benefits. So I encourage you, if you're listening, to really pay attention that these practices that Trisha's sharing really do work. But They're you have vital. to get yeah, grounded in something bigger than yourself and a higher vibration than yourself because you're powerless over a cookie. Yeah. I know I am for sure. Yes. <laughs> what do you think has been um, most helpful for you on your journey and that you find is most helpful for other people in recovering and healing their hunger? Um, well, the things, the self-care is paramount for sure. The community is paramount. Um, and I would also say, uh, getting really uh, aligned with our purpose, like our life's purpose. I think a lot of times we're eating just because we're misaligned and we've got that emptiness inside. You know, we're just going through the motions of life and we're not really clued into the fact that, you know, that we have a higher calling that we're not answering. And so I know for myself, um, I've gotten happier and happier in my life as I've gotten more and more in touch and in tune with really my life's calling, which for me is sharing and, and, and speaking about emotional eating. So the more I've gotten on my dime along those lines, the happier I feel, the lighter I feel, and the less you know need I have for any kind of crutch in my life. And so, you know, this is obviously not on people's minds when they're not fitting into their genes. They're not. The first thought is not, I need, I need to follow my higher calling. Yeah. You know, so it's usually I need to go on a diet or I need to go exercise. But the truth is, is they are inextricably linked. You know, when we feel empty when we are not aligned, when we're not listening to that calling. I mean, I believe God has put something on our heart, you know, to our a special purpose. Like I believe every human being has a special purpose, a special way to serve in this world. And, you know, when we get in touch with that and we follow that, which is scary, you know, if we're, if we're far from it, if we're in a job that's completely not suited for us, but it, bring, it pays the bills and it's, you know, steady and, and stable, you know, it's going to be scary to start, you know, a new career or to start doing something that seems totally unrelated. But, mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, our hearts are yearning for us to to really answer that call. And so I just say that the eating can oftentimes come from that sense of emptiness and lack of purpose. So I would just recommend that people start, you know, listening for the things that, you know, what makes you happy? What brings you joy? Like, where do you feel like you're like just beaming from ear to ear? Like, what are you doing at those times? Like what, what qualities are involved in that? Is it being with family? Is it being creative? You know, I found many years ago, you know, that I would fall into these depressions, you know, this, these feelings of depression. And thankfully, you know, I never really thought to treat it with medication. I, I, uh, you know, would start doing things like getting more active. I'd play tennis when I was depressed because it gave me connection and it, and it helped me be active. Mm -hmm. um, just very simple things. But what I also discovered is when I was creative, the depression would go away. So if I wasn't writing or singing or dancing or, you know, creating videos online or, you know, do, doing something else that's creative, when I wasn't doing those things, 
I would get depressed, I'd get backlogged. I have so much creative energy in me. And if I don't have, you know, an outlet for that, it just turns into depression. It's not, I'm not clinically depressed. I'm just, you know, backed up. I'm, I'm stymied, you know? And so as soon as I start getting those juices flowing and having an outlet that's creative, it just would lift my spirits. And again, movement as well helped me mm -hmm. tremendously, but simple things, you know? So if you just take a look at what brings you joy, where are you, where do you feel like you're complete? Like, where do you feel like you, what, what, what is it that you do that you would do all day long, you know, even if you weren't paid, you know, like what would you be doing, you know, and then see what you can do along those lines, how you can follow that or add that to your life, you know, and that's going to bring so much more happiness, which I promise you will have a direct effect on the amount of food that you eat. Right. It's so true. And thank you for sharing that. And you've worked with many, many people, I don't know, probably in the thousands of people struggling with these issues. What have you found that maybe share some examples of people who were feeling that emptiness and then they maybe got on purpose and discovered, oh, wow, I, you know, I always wanted to do flower arranging. And now they're finding that creative outlet because I find that there are people I work with who are kind of stuck in jobs they don't love and they've even forgotten and don't know what it is. So I think it'd be very inspiring for everyone listening to maybe hear some stories of how people found their purpose in life and what it was. Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 I teach people about uh, to be certified as emotional eating coaches. So um, that's so what comes to mind is a few people in my coaching programs. You know, one is, was a nurse. She was an ER nurse. And there's, uh, you probably know this more than anybody, but there's no, there's no more un unhealthy environment than, you know, than a hospital, you oh. know, in the kitchen, you know, the, the break room of a hospital, there's like oh, yeah. total crap. Like that's all there is to eat. Everybody's bringing in their carbs and their sugar dishes mm -hmm. and, you know, their casseroles and, and she just had so much trouble not overeating because she had 12 hour days, very few breaks. And it's like, you just run into the break room and you're just grabbing whatever for quick energy. And so she had the hardest time not overeating. And so, and plus she, she hated the work. They were stressed out all the time and overworked mm -hmm. and understaffed. And so she took my emotional eating coach training program. She was already super involved in health and um, and, and so that like really turned everything around for her when she took her knowledge about health, you know, we all study health when we're trying to figure out how to fix ourselves, you know, so she just parlayed mm -hmm. that education into being an emotional eating coach. And now she's, you know, developing a business of helping people and she's transitioning out of her, mm -hmm. you know, her emergency room job, you know, she's part-time now she was full-time. And as she pulls away from that job, her spirits are lifting as she's getting more focused on her passion of helping people, you know, it's changing everything for her. And, you know, some other, uh, I'm trying to think of some other examples. I mean, another gal in my program, you know, she, she was an LSW, um, LCSW rather, and um, a therapist, but she kept having people come in who were emotional eaters. And so she couldn't get very far with them because they're drugged. You know, they come in after mm -hmm. binging on sugar or just eating a lot of sugar and, and she didn't feel like she could help them. But as soon as she started helping them with the emotional eating piece, 
she could literally do her work in her best way because they were alert and conscious, you know, and then they could start dealing with stuff, you know, other things, you know, some people connect with their passion for golf or, you know, something that dance, you know, something that they did as a kid, looking back into our childhood is a great way to see what our passions are. Cause so much of the time we were right on it. Like I, like we were on it early on. It amazes me how, how right on I was as a kid, you know, even though I was overeating, I still was choosing activities that totally fed my soul. You know, I just didn't know how to deal with the pain I was in, but uh, looking back there and finding, you know, doing, you know, get taking a dance class, taking a writing workshop, you know, things, you know, getting back to that sport that you forgot about because you thought you were too large to do it, you know, getting, taking risks, getting back out there. So, so important. And that will make such a huge difference in our whole outlook on life. So, so I have a question for you and those are great examples and anyone who can pull themselves out of the mainstream medicine mind frame. I know in labor and delivery, we doctors, when we come in for a delivery, it was kind of required that we'd stop at Krispy Kreme and bring a dozen donuts for the nurses. <laughs> but if you can pull yourself out of that, I mean, that's pretty exemplary, um, similar in the ER. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are in why traditional therapists, whatever their background, if they're an LCSW or master psychology or whatever they are, uh, they still do talk therapy for this, for emotional compulsive eating, which doesn't work. It's proven not to work. Yeah. Why does our model not change and why are we all left to figure this out for ourselves? Well, you know, my example of, of the LCSW who took my emotional eating coach training program, I mean, to me, that's a perfect segue, you know, and health coaches. I mean, we now have a burgeoning health coach industry, which is fantastic right. to help, you know, people in, in, in mainstream medicine begin to give more support to their, you know, their patients by having the health coach in there that's working on real behavioral changes. You know, I, I think the problem with therapy, and I went to therapy before I found a solution to my eating, and I, I did not, didn't change my eating one bit, my therapy, but, um, you know, and until I started really getting act, you know, getting real help for my, my life, you know, like changing my life. But I think the problem is because in therapy, it is an old model because what happens in therapy and, and it's not that there aren't good therapists. I mean, I've been some, to some amazing heart centered therapists. Um, but, but the problem and the reason why it doesn't work for emotional eating in my experience is because we're very in our heads in therapy. We're trying to find an intellectual solution for a problem that does center in our psyche, in our soul, in our heart. You know, to me, those are synonymous. And so you can't get this by understanding it. And, and it seems like you can. And I, I see time and time again, emotional eaters are reading every book they can they've read everything they're studying they love the science they love they love it when people give them statistics and science and studies and i agree it's super yummy to get that stuff it feeds our mind but it really doesn't help because it's all in our heads like you can't figure this thing out yeah. you know you've got to get into your heart you've got totally you have to feel safe 
You know, we think we're, we feel safe when we're in our heads, but we're not, we're not connecting to our hearts. And that's really, that's the scary journey. You know, that's why people don't want to meditate. People give you pushback on meditation. You know, it's not because they think meditation is bad. It's because they're inside, you know, their little girl or guy is saying, don't make me sit still. Like I cannot, I will break if I sit still with, with what's going on inside that I'm running so fast from. You know, they do not want to sit still. It's terrifying for people like us, you know, overeaters or overdoers. Like we are running so fast, hoping to outrun the feelings. Mm -hmm. And there is no such thing. They will always show up in our eating, you know, like those feelings will catch up with us and we either deal with them or they deal with us, you know? And so it's just really important to know that that, that, scary thing of getting into our hearts and discovering what's there and getting still and quiet. Again, don't go there alone. You can't do it alone. Otherwise you would have already, but that is where we need to go. Like that is the hard journey we need to take. And if you can just see, first of all, the fear of it is so much bigger than the thing itself. (laughs) You know, it's so much bigger, but, um, but it's so empowering because when you stop running from your feelings when you can face your feelings, when you can feel your feelings, when you can feel hunger because it doesn't freak you out of what comes, you know, what information comes up in those hungry times, um, you're so much more empowered in your life. You're not a victim of the fear of having a feeling. Mm-hmm. And then that, and that's so true. And, and it's been said, the longest journey you'll ever take is from your mind to your heart, but it's no the question. most essential. And it's almost like we as children, um, Dr. Keisha Ewers, we were talking about big T trauma, little t trauma the other day, and how really we're all traumatized as children. It's just a matter of degree. Some yeah. not so much, some very much. Totally. And so we, when we are, we just get chased out of our bodies, which is really the subconscious mind and the heart. And then we we live up here and we do and we think, therefore we are, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's crazy. It is. And um, what are other tools that you use to help people get in their body? You talked about movement and sound, singing and... So important. I dance every day. I get on a trampoline. I have a little rebounder that I, that I, I, I walk either outside or inside. And uh-huh. then I get on this little trampoline and I have, I put, again, with my earbuds in, I turn Pandora on. My favorite all-time artist is Megan Trainer because she has the most empowering, oh. <laughs> most empowering songs, you know, for women trying to get over hating themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and I rock out like for five to 10 minutes. And, and I've only started doing this recently because I realized how much dance like improves my mood you know, dance and music. And I'm not a dancer. Trust me. I'm like a dorky dancer, but on my own, like alone, (laughs) I'm rocking out and it uplifts my mood. It gets, you know, my hormones moving, my endorphins, right? Your vibration. Totally. So I say music is so important. Music and movement is so important. You don't have to know what you're doing or do anything right. Like just do it, you know, so, so important, but connecting with our bodies is vital because we've, you know, we've been living from the neck up. Like we don't want anything to do with our bodies. Like we're like, yuck, you know, right, but like, it better look good. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. But we're not integrated. And the more integrated we can be with our bodies, with our sexuality, with, you know, getting the flow 
so, so important. And this doesn't involve another person. This is our personal journey with ourselves, making peace with these bodies that we've hated for so long. So, so important. You know, it's interesting you brought up sex. So let's talk about that. Yeah. I, I do find that there is a relationship between uh, not only the intimacy that we have with food or lack thereof, a dysfunctional relationship, but it also sometimes is related to intimacy that we have in our sexual relationships and sex itself. Have you noticed that? Do you want to talk about that? I'd love to. I mean, emotional eaters, you know, it's, it's sex is a tough thing. It was for me because of the sexual abuse I experienced as a kid. It's like, to be desire to to have desires to me meant to have danger in my life and i wasn't in a dangerous situation with a person who perpetrated with me i mean it wasn't a scary situation it just was wrong you know so um but the problem is you know i got so many mixed messages about my sexuality and i became a compulsive masturbator because i was uh sexual at an inappropriate age and it just sort of triggered this voracious sexual appetite so that brought me so much shame and so much guilt and so much you know secrecy and so it just you know and I just was very obsessed with sex and you know and I shut it down with food you know, with food and weight I just mm -hmm. tamped it down because it felt very out of control and so and I think that emotional eaters have very much where we are very you know at our core sensual and sexual beings i mean all we all are god made us that way but we have so many religious ideas about it being bad about our desires being bad you know and so a lot of mixed up cultural messages and you know i just sort of wanted to shut the whole thing down and I, there's no better way to do that than food you know so it's like we're either i i find we bounce off from two extremes we're either super promiscuous or we're super like, like out, out of business, you know? And so we, right. and we, sometimes we toggle between the two, you know, and a lot of times people are so afraid to lose weight. They don't realize it. Like everybody who's fat wants to lose weight and be skinny. But what we don't realize is that being skinny carries a large responsibility with it because being skinny means we have to experience a whole greater, you know, spectrum of feelings. Like you can't be thin without having to really uh, inhabit a whole greater amount of feelings. And so people, we just want the thing. We want to fit into that size six or four or whatever. And, and not realizing that it, that's a whole nother journey. Like first you're losing weight and then you got to handle being thin. You know, and that's a whole nother ride. And some of those feelings are going to be sexual feelings and feelings of being out of control sexually. And a lot of people, when they lose weight, you know, we've been, you know, we've been unattractive and undesirable for so long. It's like, all we want to do is be desired. And then we get there and we're like, oh no, like too far <laughs> the door. Right. And so yeah. then we're, then we're acting out oftentimes. And then it just becomes overwhelming and then and then we retreat back into what we know is safe you know and that's the food and the fat so it's a ride you know it's definitely a ride it's it's gnarly it's complicated and people aren't prepared for that that's why 98 percent of all diets feels we think it's just about the body being thinner but it's about so much more it's it's really about living in a thin body which is not easy so yeah that's a whole that's a that's a crazy yeah crazy experience. So there's a lot I could share about that. I could probably, 
you know, it's could be like a three hour show if we get into that. <laughs> right. No, but thank you for sharing that. I, I have found that with myself and with my clients. And even with me, when I had lost a hundred pounds, all I could think about is I wanted to lose weight. And it wasn't until I basically surrendered that and said, well, I just want to be healthy. And then the weight came off. But when I, I got down to even 135 at one point, um, and I'm five, nine, which is probably a little too much. Yeah. Um, I did. It felt like being in the world without any defense. And it was a very kind of unnerving, ungrounding experience. And yeah. so learning how to navigate that, I thought, oh, and I find this with my patients. We do think exactly what you said. When we get to that weight, I'll be happy and feel great. But the truth is you'll feel like you feel now plus minus your, your protection. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so how do you help people navigate that? Well, again, it's really the same way. I mean, it's like, we have to never alone, like don't do it alone. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and doing with people who are doing it, you know, like it's a, it's an odd journey. You know, most people just enjoy sex and they're, they're not like freaked out about it, you know? Um, but I find that it's really important to be among people who are doing that work and it's, you can't go deep right away. Like you have to start, like you have to start kind of, you know, I, I see it as kind of a, a funnel, like you're going around that funnel and you're going deeper each time you go around, you know, into deep, into deeper stuff, you know, but you can't go there right away. Cause that's, you freak out and you jump out, you know? So, uh, it's sort of like, how do you boil a lobster? Well, you don't, you know, I mean, you do put, actually forget that you do yeah, boil, right. it's yeah. You put them in hot water, forget that example, but how you, I've heard, how do you boil a toad is you put them in and you put them in uh, cold water and then you, you put it, you slowly heat up the water so they don't know right. what's happening to them, you right. know? And so they don't jump out they lobsters can't jump, but toads yeah. can. <laughs> so, uh, so that's it. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, but, but I think the important point really is that this is an emotional journey. Like it's not about the weight and, and the sooner we can embrace it as a journey that will teach us so many things. I mean, I am the person I am today because I was an emotional eater and I had to heal from it, which means I had to go through, you know, the fire, you know, the fire of healing my emotions and my reactions to my emotions. But that's just made me so much more of a beautiful, loving, warm-hearted, you know, effective person that I would have been had I never been an emotional eater. So em embracing the journey, you know, like just being like, okay, I've got this thing. You know, so many people, you know, my clients are like, I don't want to be an emotional eater. Like, this is not, like, this is not the way I planned my life out. And I'm like, trust me, I get it. But here we are, you know, and, and as my husband always says, all of God's children's got problems. You know, it's like, we, we're going to have something. I'd rather, I'd rather be an emotional eater than a whole lot of things other people have to deal with, you know, but if we can embrace it as a journey of healing our soul, you know, cause I believe, I do believe I chose this condition, you know, specifically mm -hmm. because every day it requires me to get better and better. Like, you know, some people choose things that you can actually get cured from, but because this is not something you get cured from and you're always an emotional eater and you always have to treat it. Uh, it, it, it absolutely requires more of me each day. And I'm grateful for that because I like the person I've become on account of it. 
Well, and, and it's so true what you're saying. Your pain has become your purpose and you're like the oyster with the little grain of sand and you made a pearl. And I think the ultimate level of transcendence is when you are grateful for the problems that you've had and the challenges. Yeah. And I, I love to tell people you don't have a weight problem. You have a perception problem. And that perception problem is that you have a weight problem. Yeah. You really have... Um, <laughs> an emotional eating problem and or toxicity and hormonal imbalance yep. things like that. But what are the three things you've covered a lot of ground? And I thank you so much for all the information you've shared. What would be the top three things that you would share with someone listening that they could do to stop emotional eating as soon as possible? Um, not skip meals ever again. Like you're not going to hack the system. You will end up eating more. So don't ever skip a meal, eat three meals, nothing in between, mm -hmm. uh, get, start a spiritual practice first thing in the morning and then get connected with, uh, with other emotional eaters, you know, who are on a healing path. It's, it's, it's impossible to do it without. And they can do that. You have a group online, right? I do. I have a program called 10 Weeks to Freedom from Emotional Eating. It's a super powerful program and people get incredible results. And I'm, I'd love to share that. If we could do a link, I'm happy to share that here. But it's, um, or they can go to healyourhunger.com. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. We'll also okay. put the healyourhunger.com so people can find you. And before you go, I'd love it if you could share what Her Brilliant Health means to you. That's the name of the podcast. That's what we're all about, creating brilliant health for women. And what does that mean to you? That means shining our light. You know, yes. when we are taking care of ourselves, when we're putting ourselves first, you know, when we realize that, you know, loving ourselves and, and, and doing God's work is one in the same, you know, and caring for ourselves, uh, our light will shine brighter and brighter and we will bless more and more people. People think it's selfish to take care of themselves, but it's the opposite. It's selfless because the more we care for ourselves, the brighter our light is and the more people experience God's love flowing through us. So that's what that means to me. Yes. Well, you certainly exemplify that. And I see light shining from you. And thank, thank you. you for your journey. And thank you for the work that you do and, and the people that you're helping. You've helped so many people by your presence here today. And I thank you so much. For thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs> Appreciate you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Hopefully you are inspired to take action on some new information you received today. A step towards the bountiful, blissful, beautiful vitality that you deserve. If you have health topics and questions you'd like addressed, please message me on my Facebook page or visit KieranDunstonMD.com and let me know. I'd love to help. Remember to share this podcast on social media and send it to your friends and family who could benefit from it too. If you love the show, please go right now to iTunes, write a review, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be the first to know when future episodes are available. Thank you again for joining me. And remember, achieving optimal health isn't magic, it's science.